Hey everybody, welcome back to the Iron Works Podcast. I'm Pastor Tyler. And I'm Zach. And uh, we are beginning a new series today. I'm excited to get into that one. And before we tell you what it is, if you haven't seen the title of the of the podcast already today, uh, Zach, you and I both grew up in the 90s. We, yes, Not we just in the 90s, but in the church in the 90s. That's correct. And, you know, we sort of came of age as the, the millennium turned and into the early 2000s. So let me just ask you this question. What, what was different about church back then? And what do you think have we gained or lost in the transitions that have happened since that time? Whoa. Um, what was different about church? That's its so, own podcast right yeah, there, Yeah, oh boy, it? yeah. Um, Pre-internet to post-internet church. Yeah, first of that's all. That's what they say the definition of a millennial is, is somebody that started out without internet yes, and I remember. Do you it. remember when your parents got your first computer that had a dial-up? Because I, I do yeah. very well. Yeah, it was like a big deal. We had dial-up. We had asteroids on it. Oh wow, that was that was a little before us. All those old games. Okay, we had the ones that had uh, the ninety Windows ninety five. So you had like Solitaire and, and Free Cell and stuff on there. Uh, Minesweeper. Um, I remember. Well, the first thing that I think you don't. I was thinking about this actually when we we're talking about our before we talk about our topic today. You just had less stuff that was like for you. And it's really hard for, for, like, if I was to explain that to a, a kid who's growing up in the church now, like, nowadays, you can go on Spotify, and Spotify is a godless place, but yet it has, like, all these playlists with Christian music, because there's so much Christian music, and they know that people will buy it and want to consume sure. it. So, like, when, you don't understand that when we were kids, like, there was a pretty small section of the Christian bookstore. First of all, you had to go to a Christian bookstore sometimes to get things that yeah. were, like, books for Christians or music for Christians. And second of all... First of all, it wasn't all very good. And and what was there, like, there wasn't a lot. It just wasn't like now where there's just so much stuff, you know? Like, if you're interested in basically anything, you can find a believer that's writing about it or doing a doing a thing about it. And back then, it was like you didn't have a whole lot. Like, you know, so pretty is much. That a, is that a positive or negative development or I both? I don't. It's kind of both. I feel like now we've got a lot of stuff, and sometimes that means some of it feels a little bit like a cash-in or whatever. But back then, you had not very much stuff. Some of which was very, very cheesy. And then the stuff you had, some of it was great. And that was the stuff that everybody knew, right? Like when, when a good new band came out, all of your friends listened to them because that was the music that we had, you know? Yeah. So like yeah. everybody, you, everybody together, had this, there was a shared culture. Oh yeah, absolutely. Folks our age for sure. Oh yeah. Like yeah. everyone was listening to, you know, mm-hmm by Reliant K oh, because, yeah. because that was the dude. It was like, it was the best. It was, it was amazing. Sadly, yeah. they're well, not. Well, of course anymore. right now it like. There's so much of this and we don't, and part of the problem is we don't know who any of these people are, you know, yes. and maybe yeah, we're yeah, in this yeah, category yeah. for you, but you know, we, we're part of a local church, which is, I think helpful, but you know, you see, oh, so-and-so's new album is out and you should sing it at your church. Like, I have no idea who this person right. is. I don't know if they've been faithful. I don't know. And you know, that's something that has, has certainly been a, a positive, but also had its, its challenges and. Um, you know what, I, I, part of this might be just because of the way I grew up in, in church, but it, it seemed like there was a lot more focus in the church at that time that, that we weren't spread out so far in our, in our mental thinking that we, there was a, an understanding that the church is there for the Lord to be worshiped, that we are evangelists. We believe in evangelism. We believe in apologetics and defending the faith and, you know, there was a, a real uh, sense of mission and, and togetherness. And I don't know when that might have changed, I, probably around the seeker-friendly movement. I, I think that there, that might be something to talk about another day because you and I were youth group age 
when that whole seeker-friendly youth group thing words, was a we big were before, deal. Yeah, we were growing up before the seeker-friendly movement. And that's true. And, and But then it, like, it took root, at least in my city, it took correct, root. Yeah. And all these churches of uh-huh. don't teach the Bible mm-hmm. to your teenagers, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, do Xbox, do ping pong, right. and, and make them feel at home. And then, you know, when they really trust you, then you, you can tell them yeah. about Jesus. And I remember my, my church flat out rejected that whole deal. And they was like, no, we're not doing any of this. And I wonder if, if that, that attitude really caused a shift in the, in the church to where there was no longer an insistence on a shared, this is who we are, a shared culture. And it could just be the internet that, that split all that up too. And that we're, it might still be feeling the effects from that. I don't know. I think, I think the, the point about the internet, and again, we don't want to just overly sound like old guys. I mean, there's some great things that came out of that, right? This was not all bad, but when you talk about a shared culture, like, yeah, for better or for worse, if you were a believer in the 90s, for the most part, we all kind of had some things in common. Like you could you could pretty reliably predict like that we would all share a bunch of different stuff. Right. And now I feel like if you know, if you went to a youth group, most of those kids, you could name a couple different pieces of media and a couple different people and they, they would know who you were talking about because it was that was all in the air for us. That was what we had together. I'd say the closest thing to that right now is is probably the chosen yeah, kind of everybody yeah, right, has right. seen the. Ironically enough, not not me though. But <laughs> I mean, everybody has seen the chosen and knows what it is. Right. And uh, imagine that being like across the board. Like everybody read the same books and knew the same oh, yeah. Bible teachers. Yes, and yes. Everybody, you know, you Whereas watched you internet, watched TBN. Yes. You know, you listened to the Christian radio station in your town. Every all the kids watched Veggie Tales. Seven point one can KT. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. But like you know, but you're right. Everybody like right like. like there's a reason that ve- you, I don't think you could do that with any Christian media right now that you can still put memes up on the internet of VeggieTales and any kid from the 90s almost. You might not even have been in a particularly Christian household, but you knew what that was. You can even hear somebody so, make a joke sometimes that's not in a Christian setting. But it's and you're the like, voice. oh, he went to church. Exactly. You oh, know, he totally right, went to church because he 90s. wouldn't get that reference yes. otherwise. And so now with the internet, like I remember we started doing youth group ministry, you and me, in the 2000s. And the 2010s. Yeah, the 2010s. Was 10s. When and really so by that time, you already had the kids that came in. Every one of them was a unique flavor of like, well, they hang out. Here. So we would know, oh, well, he's this kind of kid. So he listens to this and he plays that and he goes here. But it was many different types of that. Whereas when I think we grew because of the Internet, they had their own little subcultures. Again, not good or bad. I'm just kind of describing. So like when we grew up, I think there was less of that. It was Christianity pretty much, was your subculture. That's exactly Maybe that's correct. what we're trying yeah, to circle yeah, 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 here. Yeah, 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 exactly. Like if you were a Christian, you were there weird was, already. I mean, there's this is a, this <laughs> yeah. is a silly thing, maybe. But like I, I would say more Christians played Nintendo then played like Xbox or PlayStation because there was more family-friendly stuff available for oh, the yeah. Nintendo. And like there wasn't as many like M for Mature games uh-huh. and like this is what you did. So there's a there's a vibe that Christians from this time yes. had and it was shared. That's, do you remember that's, Do you remember NOTW when like that brand came out? Not and of that this was world. Like yeah, everyone, I still see those every now and then. Yeah, on, on bumper and like stickers and that stuff. was a th- like everybody, all of the kids in your youth group as soon as they could drive, would put that on the back of their car. Like it was, it was like this shared identifier of like, yes, we are weird, but we're all kind of. It was our generation's like, um, Jesus freak, or, or or even like the Jesus Fisher. Or e- even whatever. that, I mean, I yeah, the you song would see the fish Jesus is, freak, yeah, 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 was a big deal. Like, wow, we're different from everybody else, and I, I think there's, huh. you know, I wonder if it doesn't feel the same, and it could be just that I've gotten older, but it really doesn't feel like there's that same solidarity anymore there's a there's a reluctance among christians maybe to want to just be known as a christian yeah. you know like there's a 
I also we, remember, we don't really have a, a our unique culture much longer. I also you know. remember, and this could this could totally just be my rose colored glasses. We're going on with this maybe longer than we thought, but I'm rem- going somewhere with it. I promise. I remember more. I, well, I remember less fighting between us as believers and more fighting between us and outsiders. Yeah, very much so. So, what do I mean by that? When I was growing up, and this this ties into the apologetics thing. When I was growing up. You were taught in church a lot, especially in the 90s. You were taught you need to know these things so that you can go out and and talk to other people who disagree with you who are going to try and change your mind. And, you know, I have, we all, I'm sure, have different bones to pick with some of that or, or ways that we do it different. But you know what? The cool thing about that was that the focus was we are together, just the, the global church. Like you learned that apologetic stuff from other believers that you might not have agreed with on everything, but you agreed together on the essentials of the faith. Now, since the internet, I notice a lot of times there's a hesitancy of believers even to speak up on things because they're mostly afraid that other believers are going to round on them and tear them apart. Yeah. That's, and that's, that's kind of a, that's a change that I don't love as much. That's no, kind of a that, that's what I want to, we'll kind of, kind of transition from here is I, one thing I remember, and this is maybe just the way my pastor led it, but I, th- I think it was fairly consistent is that you very often would have, you would have training as a church. You would have evangelism training. Where you're going to do the way of the master, or you're going to do evangelism explosion, uh, you're going to go through something like that. Do you remember when uh, the Da Vinci Code book came out, and there was an yes. awful lot of apologetics yeah, resources yeah, yeah. that came out? And obviously, the people book didn't was, know what to do with it. The People book was fiction, out, yeah. but it's like here's the actual church history to help you respond to that. There was uh, training related to Mormonism or Jehovah's Witnesses about how to respond when they come to your door. Like, mm-hmm. A lot of apologetics and. Um, I would even say a lot of teaching from my perspective on uh, the eschatology, on the pre-trib rapture, on here's why we yep. believe this and here's what we believe about it and here's how to engage somebody in conversation with it and how to defend it. Uh, there was quite a bit of that. And and now uh, it's I that still happens, I think, but it's certainly not as much. But there's one more that, I, that used to happen quite a bit, and I want to talk about it today because uh, while the culture may have changed, this is something that we need to make sure that we do not lose. A big part of growing up as an evangelical Christian in the 90s and into the the 2000s is that we, we got to come up with a more clever name for that decade, but we'll just call it the 2000s. That one, yeah, the aughts so, I've heard, which I don't love. Yeah, I don't love that the either. The aughts, what does that even mean? Yeah, anyway, but anyway, <laughs> uh, a big part of growing up in the church at that point, or just participating in the church, was you would get taught up on the subject of creationism versus evolution. Oh, yeah. That you would Absolutely. be taught why we believe the when the Bible says God created the world in six days, that that is what it means. That if we believe or we, we read in the Bible and it says that man was made on the sixth day, here's why we believe that. That we don't believe these were conflated stories. We don't believe they were just myths. Uh, Ken Ham had a big yep. influence in that. But it wasn't yes. just Ken Ham. It's been going on since men like Henry Morris and so on. But uh, Answers in Genesis, his ministry, which, of course, is still going very strong. Um, is, but it's different now. It's, it's more centralized than the, uh, you know, what it used to be at the time. That was kind of a, a given for evangelicals that this is something that you would learn and you would talk about. Um, I certainly went through it quite a bit. I remember uh, just on my own, he came to Lynchburg and spoke at Thomas Road Baptist Church where uh, Jerry Falwell was the pastor at the time. And uh, they sold DVDs of that, of that uh, session, of that seminar that he did in all the different sessions oh, and yeah. as a as a kid i watched him over and over oh, yeah. and over i had again. one of those DVD I, I wore them out of like a big seminar he'd done yeah. at church in the early 90s it looked like from the haircuts and uh, <laughs> we would we, we just oh man i remember i remember my parents bought 
this was I can't emphasize to you guys enough and I may have even been deeper in this than Tyler because I actually grew up we, we were homeschooled so it was a big deal for us it was a oh, big wow. part yeah, of you probably were pretty uh, far uh, yo, yeah 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 I mean it was a huge part of and, and that was a big motivation for a lot of people to homeschool their kids it it's because we're not was. going to be taught that's evolution correct. that's correct and we're yeah. not going to subject our kids to that that's correct and and so and I don't know if that that wasn't necessarily the main I don't know if my parents really had a big chip on their shoulder about it but it was but a you would that is that was a oh big deal no doubt it was a part and it, it was a big is. part of it my parents were like we want you to learn this way so we I remember they they sent away or it was at like a conference and you got we got this huge shrink wrapped thing that was just like probably more than 20 different resources with DVDs, books, mm -hmm. just like in a box that came to the house. And we just tore into this and really, you know, creation, creationism and evolution and stuff became kind of one of my hobbies from the age of like 10, 12 until I was 16, 17 years old. And it was a big deal for me. I was very, I was fascinated by it. I read on it all kinds. I really went deep on it. And can you guys may not understand, especially if you're a little younger than us, you may not understand how important Ken Ham was to the church at that period, because he was really one of the only people that was talking about this. And certainly the most prominent voice. He I was say. producing a ton of resources, which remember we just said you didn't have a lot of those back then. So if he had 20 different books on it, those were the 20 books you could get about it. Basically, yeah. the the lie was the, the lie big one, was a big one, which is still very good. A, and I still good highly book. recommend it's a good book. So the lie and, and he they were doing all kinds of different things. And man, we tore into that stuff because it was the only it was the only like, I don't know a better word than counter programming against all the other stuff you were getting. If you went anywhere else, basically, in the culture when we were growing up, you heard the same exact thing copied. This is how it is. This is, Everybody knows this. Why don't you know this? And he was the only person who was saying, well, hold up. That's we have some other ideas. So it was, he was a major important thing for the church. Yeah. yeah and this was, that's of course, pre creation museum, pre oh, yeah. Ark so Encounter, all of ago, that. Yeah. Uh, and I had, I mean, I had t-shirts when I was a kid. I would look for chances to get into arguments with people about it. Oh man. Because, uh, because, <laughs> I because I knew is, my yeah. stuff, like yeah. I had been trained and then to try to talk to somebody that didn't believe that, but didn't really <laughs> know how to come at me. Like yep. it could be very gratifying to do that. And, uh, you know, I remember one encounter in particular in middle school where I was talking to this one kid who was fancied himself a smart kid and was like, you know, of course this, you know, Christianity can't be true because of this. And I said, you're the one who believes that if you took a big pile of bricks and blew them all up, that it would land in the shape of a building. He goes, <laughs> well, no, but if you did it enough times, oh. it might turn into something that looks an awful lot like a building to which I, I said, well, but it would also have to be with all the plumbing working and all the electricity running properly and the foundation laid square. And I probably didn't say it that cleanly, but it's like, it's not, that, that was part of what it, what it was. I mean, if you were in church, you were going to hear about this stuff. You and I both went to Liberty yes. University and to my knowledge, yep. they still do this. You had to take creation studies as uh, a required course that you would, you, did you have to take CR, um, CRST? It, I think it was part. I think it was part of, by the time I was there, it was part of a, another course I took, but we took it. There was the worldview like class that. we had to take, but I had to take yeah, Creation yeah. Studies 290. Yeah, yeah. And this is something that everybody learned at that school. And it was a big deal for yes. Liberty to do that. Yeah, yeah. And if I'm not mistaken, might have even held up their accreditation at a certain point. But this was like, no, we're going to be a place right. where uh, I'm sure they still have the Creation Research Center there. Like, we're going to mm -hmm. do this. Yeah. We're going to talk about this. Before, actually, before uh, Ken Ham built the Ark, Damas Hall at Liberty University was built to be the dimensions of Noah's Ark so that you could tell people, hey, that's how big it was. So don't ask me how Noah could have fit everybody inside it because we can put a whole school in here, you yeah. know. So that that's 
what it was. You know, that's what we did. We wore t-shirts, you know, we had hats, which is something we talked about. You learned about it in youth group. You know, you, I went to a Christian school. We talked about it there. That's changed. Would mm. you agree with me when you say that? When yes. I say that? Yeah, yeah. I think it has. I, I think, I don't I, think and I don't that remember it's, it's not as consistent. Like you talk to another believer you're not so rock solid certain that they're going to no. be a creationist when you when you talk oh, to them. Oh yeah, no, and, and, and especially online. The other thing. Oh yeah. Well, the other no online. If you bring that, I I I almost sometimes avoid bringing it up online with people I don't know because I'm almost sure it's going to cause a weird thing. I uh, I don't know when that happened, but I know that there was a period where all of a sudden. First of all, I remember, we talked about me growing up, like, I just, man, I, I was so into this. And then there was a period where I, I knew that I had been, you, you were talking about fighting people. I mean, I would I would go to natural history museums, like like <laughs> John Wayne hitting the beach at Iwo Jima. <laughs> like, I was loaded, dude. Like, I was so excited, like, to, to get, and it, you would get into these, because you were, you know, and I can make, it's easy, so easy to make fun of that or dismiss that. It was a big deal for us growing up in the faith to realize that there were answers to this stuff that yeah. we didn't have to. That, and that was, I think, the real blessing of what Ken Ham wanted to do is he wanted to help you realize that you weren't the crazy one, right, for, for believing in the Bible. That there was answers that there, there was a rational, biblical, scientific reason to believe this. Right. And, and that's important. Yeah, and, and also he did an awful lot of warning of the. Uh, societal yes, and theological did. fallout that would come if we lost this. And we will discuss he that did. in another podcast here. Now, I think at some point, I remember when I, I could hear the Lord telling me, you know, you're this is now just big game hunting for you. Like, this is not about your faith anymore and, and like building you up in the word. It's just about you want to embarrass people. And I took a step back from some of that stuff. And that was healthy for me. I needed to be walking with the Lord, not just you know, Jesus plus, you know, like uh, Lewis says, Jesus plus, you know, whatever. That was good. However, then I started feeling myself getting embarrassed. Mm -hmm. And I think this was the turn I think that happened is somewhere along the line, I don't remember where, we as a church, we got a little embarrassed of that period. And we started to say, well... I don't know. That's kind of that's kind of weird and that's a big and, part of it. It's yeah. the, it was the the shame and the mockery. Yeah. Seems like that's what changed yep. it more than anything else. And I I you know I don't really know when the when the you know shall we say the teeter totter tipped over either. But there definitely came a point and is now the case mm. that Christians would either number one just not talk about this anymore, just be like no I, I just don't bring that up. I'm not going to get into that. Or they're going to say, look, there's other ways to look at that. I'm a Christian. I believe in evolution, and it's okay. I still believe in Jesus. Yeah. And yeah. I, you know, <laughs> I, I, I almost want to keep talking about this because I really mm. don't know when it tipped over. I don't know if it was because it was the seeker-friendly movement that came through and stopped insisting on things uh, that, I like, you know, I, focusing I, I more on think... felt needs, you know, more like that. I think there you can definitely huge... go back. You can go back and see where the early postmodern what would become, it was not at the time, but it would become mm. wokeness was at work in the church and really beating down. We shouldn't be talking about doctrine. We shouldn't be talking about there's, how can you talk about doctrine when there's poor people in the world? Like that was a big push yes, for was. a long time. And then there was, I, I think a generation went off to college. More people than ever before went off to college and yep. were berated 
by their professors when they went to school and shamed and mocked and made fun of. They, many of them fell into sin and there was a more general falling away in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and maybe that is, that's the explanation right there is just that the, the church has faltered in recent years. But I don't know if that really explains why in the church itself, like there, I think that in many places there's still an assumption of these things, but it's, it's, you got to come out like, you know, with your weapon drawn, if you're going to talk about this, like you, you're not going to very quickly find a sympathetic audience to have this conversation anymore. No. And I think a big part of it too is, so the, that apologetics movement that came to the church in the nineties, sometimes there were some excesses, right? Where it just became all about fighting and, and it was more about winning arguments than about winning hearts and souls, right? Okay. Sure. Granted. The unhealthy thing is that we looked at that and said, me, you know, so it's, it, what's really important is What's really, really important is, you know, just Jesus. And when people said just Jesus, they meant stop talking about these things. Yeah. They, they it's meant, easy to see that now. They meant, it? hey, let's 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 stop talking about things that anybody could disagree with. That was a big part of the unity was movement. a big push. Too. Yes. Like, was, hey, unity let's at not... all costs was the was right. the watchword for a long time. Right. And that's remember, like what you said or what we were saying is when we grew up in the 90s, you didn't have nowadays. You guys are so used to this era where you get on Twitter and it's nothing but Christians just ripping each other to shreds. Right. Over things from very important that I'd be willing to die on that hill to incredibly stupid. Right. And like, why are you doing that to another brother or sister that it wasn't like that? In fact, the pressure was more towards you. You have to agree. You have to agree. You have to agree. And mm-hmm. I think there was so much pressure towards you have to agree. And Ken Ham used to talk about this publicly. He said, you guys are so obsessed with the idea that we all have to agree that you won't let anybody call out that this is an important issue. There was pressure, pressure, pressure in the church to, hey, let's not let's not argue over anything, basically. And so I think once people started, once there was the little break in the dam that people started arguing over this thing, I think it kind of got to this point where it was like, look, you go over there and think what you think. We're going to think what we think. I don't want to talk about this anymore. And it was part of this general, I think, fracturing in the church where everybody started going to their corner, reading only their guys and and those people over there are weird and, and they're also kind of tacky and embarrassing and we don't like them. Embarrassing. Those yeah. Fundamentalists over there think that. Is, I also think, I also think there was a, uh, there was an academic sense to this too, where uh, there was uh, yes. a lot of denominations have been afflicted by this because many, in many cases, the seminaries are the engines that drive these denominations or that mm-hmm. drive a lot of churches. And, uh, as we're going to discuss today and in other, other podcasts as well, the pressure from the world to you have to hold the line on this one, that that started to affect Christian universities and Christian seminaries as well. And so you began to get Christian writers, and they were Christian writers, who began to write things to the effect of, this really is not a big issue. And we never have believed that it was a salvation issue, but it can become a salvation issue depending on where you take it. Mm. And it can be, shall we say, a shipwreck issue if you're not going to be on the lookout for it. But they began to write, you know, we don't need to read it this way. There has been a more general anti-supernaturalist push in the church away from things like angels away from, you know, the resurrection is necessary. And, and creation was easy to go because I think a lot of people were living in the times we do. It's an, it's an easy, it's an easy one for people to go do. So you're saying I don't have to be embarrassed in front of all my friends for Uh believing something nobody believes anymore. And I can still be a believer and be faithful to Christ. And maybe I, maybe I'll just do that. I don't really know the answer to what happened, but it has happened. And we're standing in a day where even myself getting ready to launch into this series here, 
just weighing carefully, is this something that I want to stick my foot in? And when I taught through the book of Genesis, just taking a couple deep breaths before I go off and teach those first couple chapters, because I know what the backlash can be. And, uh, what we want to look at today as we open up this subject is, first of all, I, I, for one, will declare, I still believe that God created the world as the book of Genesis describes it. Like, I'm still all in on this stuff. And I hope that I've developed a more generous and kind attitude in how I discuss these things. But like, that's what the Bible says. And this is what I believe. And I want to look at today the general subject of Christianity's relationship to science. Mm. Because this is a very, very touchy subject for a lot of people. We're going to go down some paths today that uh, maybe will get your dander up a little bit, or maybe you'd rather we not talk about. And we're going to touch into some areas that will be more social and political, maybe than immediately theological. But it's all to, to make a broader point uh, that, you know, for folks that are going to talk about this subject, the immediate objection is going to be, you guys aren't scientists. You, you're believing something that is ascientific. You're talking about people, this is pseudoscience. I'm sure if you looked up Wikipedia, they'd classify this as pseudoscience for some reason. But uh, we, we're going to look at this and hopefully to reclaim some of the things that have been lost. Mm -hmm. And uh, we, we have some great ideas that might pan out. We'll tell you about later for how the series is going to go. But uh, I want to begin by talking about, about this, that uh, Christianity and science, there's really two ways to break this down, and we're going to start with the more general one. When you say science, you can either say it with a lowercase s or a capital S, you might say. <laughs> yeah. And when I say a lowercase yes. s science, this is science as a concept. Con science as an idea, as a philosophy, as a way of looking at the world, as a method more than anything else. Mm -hmm. uh, lowercase s, when you say science. Capital S is what those that are in the position of scientists and authority figures have declared to be accepted and approved according to the scientific method. Now, we are in conflict, obviously, with the capital S science here. But I want to submit to you that we are not in conflict with lowercase s science, with the actual discipline itself. And I want to talk about why that is, that Christians have no problem with examining evidence, testing it, coming to uh, conclusions, coming up with hypotheses and seeing if they're true. And in fact, uh, Zach, I'll just hand this off to you. That whole thing came from the church in the first place. Did yeah, it not? we invented that. I, I mean, I just, <laughs> yeah, I'm sorry. Like, yeah, Tyler's 100% right. I'm not a scientist. I don't have any scientific training. I've read a lot about, you know, we're not just shooting our mouths off here. We've read extensively on this stuff and we do our best, you know, like anything we would do, we would do our best to be diligent and to study. But I'll tell you what I have read about more than any other topic on the planet, other than hopefully God's word is, is history. And, and the historical question is, is solved here. Even, even secular people will tell you that like the, the well, sometimes, the, huh? Well, sometimes yeah, admit well, it, not always honest secular people will tell you that the idea to look at the world and to to that it was possible to uncover the way that the world worked and set out in an ordered way what that how that worked to lay out laws observations conclusions that is a byproduct of christian thought that occurred because unlike many other ancients who believed that the world was just a magical place you know who that who, that was run basically by gods that were capricious that you couldn't understand. We believe that our God was a God of order and that he set the world up in a certain way and, and he controlled that. So from very earliest times, Christians began making observations about how that worked. And this goes back into like 
you know, during the Middle Ages and before. All of the, go look it up, all of the great early scientists were believers yes. up until about the Enlightenment when some major things changed that we'll probably end up talking about. But like we're, these, this is kind of just, this was our thing. Yeah. Is, you know, is that we, we, we realized that the world was going to be an ordered place because of God's character and because of what the Bible says. The Bible says it's the glory of God to, you know, conceal a thing. It's the glory of kings to search it out. It says that, you know, God, you know, all these places in Psalms, it talks about how God orders the, the rising of the sun and its setting and the seasons. And like Those are all under God's control. So we said, well, God doesn't make mistakes and he's not chaotic. So therefore, the world must be a place we can understand. Yes. And that, you know, we ought to take another time to discuss the Middle Ages in general, uh, the, the so-called Dark Ages. Where everything was lost, and when Rome fell, there was nothing good that happened. It was all just terrible until, thankfully, the Renaissance got started getting rid of God, and then the Enlightenment happened. Everyone conveniently skips over the Reformation in the middle of that time period. But there were, you know, yes, a civilization fell, and civilization did not reach the peaks, perhaps, of Rome, but it was nothing to scoff at either. And these monasteries, these monks were studying the world. They were figuring out the calendar. They were studying, I was, I was joking before that, you know, they were uh, studying beans and you reminded <laughs> me that it wasn't beans, it was peas. Or peas or something, I don't remember. Mendel, Mendel that, yeah. yeah that Whichever one. Studying had. genetics, right? That, that's what they were doing because as you said, the belief that the world is ordered according to God's rules and unless God decides to purposely intervene in what we would call a miracle, that there is there are rules that we can judge and we can study mathematically that we can arrive at these things and all of these early scientists were believers that were coming to these conclusions because of their theological convictions yeah, quite simply when when the pagan civilization was ashes christians were keeping the flame of civilization alive yeah that's you know you can call it the dark ages if you want but the, if there were any light there it was it was coming from churches and monasteries they were the ones that were preserving all the the reason that we have classical manuscripts to read from the Greek and Roman period is because monasteries were preserving them. Yeah. So, I, so like this is you know if that's a that's <laughs> a very um an popular atheist trope that society has just kind of swallowed is that everything stunk when it was Christian and now that we're yeah, back to yeah and it's just it's it's no, just but it's literally you got to ask trope. well then I mean, what gave rise to that the Enlightenment in the first place yeah, what yeah. gave rise to this belief in in reason and in logic and all that anyway never and a lot of those folks were Christians themselves right. as well like that that gets often forgotten by a lot of these people that uh, it has been Christians in right there in the mix. And even down to this day, you've got men that are people would say, well, yeah, back then, of course, they were all Christians because they didn't know any better. But now that we've got all this science, uh, kind of the implication being, if you look at the data, you can only believe that there is no God, mm. which is simply not true. I, I, we love to point at guys like John Lennox, who is, I, I believe, the, the head of mathematics at Cambridge University, who is a Christian. I think that's correct, yeah. Uh, yeah, there's, uh, it's, it's a foolish thing to say that if you're going to be a scientist, you can't believe in God, because there's tons of them that do, and do great work and do great research. And the reason for that is because the scientific method itself while it presupposes, at least as it was developed, the existence of a God in an orderly and harmonious universe, that the process is not does not depend on whether or not you believe in God. Because the process is we're going to take, you know, look at a phenomenon, come up with a hypothesis of why it is the way it is, and then we're going to come up ways to test that hypothesis and see if it's true or not. That is just basic fundamental science, that we're going to test things and find out what is true. 
It's agnostic. It has nothing to do with. It's not a religious set of claims. The science, you know, everybody's like, well, the scientific method proves God doesn't exist. Like the scientific method doesn't prove anything. The, the scientific method is a set of a set of processes by which you make observations and then come to conclusions about the world. Yes. So, and of, so, and of course, Christians are one hundred percent in favor of that. Of there course. are Christian scientists, Christian biologists, Christian paleontologists, Christian geologists, mathematicians, physicists, engineers. It's love that you know that's what we believe that because it's it's so basic and and it really in in one sense only works if you believe that there is a God that's holding all of it together so that you can test it in the first place. But the important difference is, and this is something that Christians from you know Ken Ham back to C.S. Lewis back to way way before that have been standing on our heads and shouting trying to get across. That process applies to what we see and can measure within the physical world. When you talk about questions of origins or you talk about questions of God's existence or God's work in the world, those are not physical, naturalistic, scientific questions. They're metaphysical questions. Those are questions about which science really doesn't have a lot to say. Yes, because it's it's not equipped with the tools. That's exactly right. It's not right. like what well, we don't you what well, Christians will say like you science doesn't have anything to say about the existence of God. And which some atheists or or you know secularists will say, "Yeah, that's true. That's why, you know, we have to treat science as if God isn't real and then if you want to believe it that's just fine." No, it's that's not what we're saying. What we're saying is that you cannot devise an experiment to test the existence of God. Right. It's outside the realm of of uh you know, what you're able to test. And we will get more into this another time. But I mean, for example, origins, you cannot replicate the beginning of the universe. Right. You can't. So to the idea that we're testing it is like, well, you are and you're not because there's all sorts of philosophical presuppositions that have to go into that. Uh, and even as, as time has gone on and you look at how science has developed and there's theories about oh, the quantum realm and dark matter and and all the the big bang that's been studied and it's like well wait a minute the universe shouldn't even work you the more you study the more you find out about you know particles popping in and out of existence or you talk about where is all of the matter of the universe anyway it should be bigger and and we don't even know why gravity and nuclear force holds together these are we have questions that we don't have the answer to and to then just say, well, we'll figure it out eventually, that's to have what we might call a science of the gaps rather than a god of the gaps, right? Mm -hmm. That eventually we'll figure this out. So all this to say, we are in favor of science and the scientific method with a cap, or sorry, with a lowercase s. If you're talking about taking hypotheses, testing them, and coming up with conclusions, we're in favor of that process. In fact, we believe that should be an ongoing process that we should test all of it which is sometimes the opposite of what is leveled against Christians. And the Christian uh, issue is not that we refuse to test theories. It's that, you know, we, we're testing theories that some people have told us are no longer up to be tested, <laughs> which is what gets us into capital S science, which shall we call this the institutions of science, the accepted authorities of science. And what they have announced and permitted shall be discussed. Now, when you start to bring this up, you immediately start to sound like a conspiracy theorist. <laughs> you immediately yeah. begin to sound uh -huh. like a, you believe in a flat earth or you believe in the boogeyman or any such thing. It's like, well, they're trying to keep it from us, man. And all right, I, I understand that. And I think that fact itself has kept many Christians either quiet or push them in a certain belief direction because they don't want to be lumped into that category. But 
I want to talk here for a minute, and this is the bit that might make some of y'all a little more uncomfortable than you're used to listening to us, about the corruption of science as an institution here. And I want to start with something that is pretty clear, and I think at least most people can agree has taken place, and then we're going to move a little closer, and then we're going to finally bring it back to the, the subject at hand. Let's talk about the coronavirus pandemic. Uh-oh. We all just, yeah, see, we're we already go. there. Uh, we, <laughs> we just lived through this a few years ago. Yeah. And there were all manner of discussions and debates that were being had at this time. And the repeated refrain that we were hearing over and over again was to trust the science. And that the scientists have made their discoveries. They've figured out what is about to happen. And you have to listen to them or millions and millions of people are going to die. Now, I'm not about to take a political stand on these things. I, you know, I have opinions on them. And if those bleed through, that's all I I can't really do anything about it. But let's talk about the things that everybody, I think, can generally agree upon. Part of which is the institutions of science were making claims about what they knew before they knew things. They were giving advice. They were telling us what, not just us, lawmakers, what policies to pass, what rules to enact, what uh, you know prescriptions, no pun intended, were, were to be given to the situation based on information that they did not have at the time. Do you remember, for example, early on when they were telling us uh, COVID does not travel through the air, it only lives on surfaces, so if you wipe stuff down, you're good. Mm-hmm. That was like the first couple of weeks. Then it turns out, actually, you know, that's really not going to help you at all. Right. Uh, everybody's got to wear masks, uh-huh. right, to to keep you know transmission from from spreading. And everybody's got to stay home. That's the best way that we can just kill the virus. And if you sa- sanitize everything, then it'll be okay. And then the vaccine came along. And again, I know I'm getting to touchy territory here, but just I'm making a broader point. The vaccine comes along. You get the vaccine. Get your two shots or whatever it might be, and you know you will not, you won't get the disease. You won't pass it on to somebody else. Okay, now it turns out you can. Well, if you get this booster though, that'll really help you. Oh, now you need a second. Now you need a third. Now you need a fourth. You might need them indefinitely, and more and more, it's being pushed. You've got to wear a mask. In fact, wear two masks. In fact, wear only this specific kind of mask. And people like myself that are normies in regard to science began to look at that and. And I saw this and I came to a conclusion at a certain point where I said, you don't know. With no malice in my heart, just looking at the those that were standing up as, as authorities during this time, you don't know. You really have no idea what to do during this situation. You don't know if this, this next booster is going to help because you keep recommending more. You don't know if this many masks is going to protect you because you can't seem to stop what's going on. You don't know if keeping us home is going to keep us safe or not. And that's when you started to see an awful lot of other scientists. Like there, you know, you had your uncle perhaps that had his own theories about, <laughs> you know, lizard people, but like there there were other scientists uh-huh. speaking up during this time, epidemiologists, doctors, whatever saying various other things, such as, if this is a virus, staying home isn't going to help anything because a virus has to run its course, like the flu, right? And there's really not else we can do about it. You had sociologists coming out and saying, if we keep the kids home for too long, they're going to have trouble going back to, to school, or there's going to be matters of depression. You had you know, economists that were collaborating and saying, look, the longer we do this, we're not really doing any better, and it's been years, and what, what about the fallout of this? And what you saw in the middle of all that was the very harsh 
I don't know if I even want to say suppression, but shall we just say public shaming of anybody that disagreed? I mean, you saw that, that Mm -hmm. if you come out and you you say, I don't know if I want to get the vaccine, you're anti-vax, you're anti-science, you you want people to die. That was a big deal. You want your grandmother to die. You want your kids to, you know, grow up with birth defects. And if you you're you just want to kill people for the economy's sake, and you're such a monster. And you know, I know of scientists that had their credentials revoked, and you had uh, you know, people that were standing up, and I think Dr. Fauci at one point said, I am the science, which is, you know, that's such an Emperor Palpatine line from Star <laughs> Wars, man. That's, yeah, that's hilarious. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, you know, I'm really not to stoke anybody's fire anymore. What am I trying to make the point? I'm, what, or what point am I trying to make? I'm trying to make the point that the United States of America and the rest of the world got very tired of this. And the pandemic sort of ended because people said, that's it, we're done. That was kind of the collective, no more. I know you want to do another lockdown, but this state comes out and says, we're opening up. And this one says, we're opening up. And this one says, we're not requiring the vaccine anymore. And it was kind of, that's that's federalism. That's what the U.S. is supposed to have. But everybody got to see up close and personal in a rather condensed version of this, that the capital S science is not necessarily the same thing as the lowercase s science, mm. that there was an agreed upon Almost, I mean, you've been in these meetings at work. This is what we're going to say. This is going to be the line, and this is where we're going to go. And I can imagine somebody saying, well, okay, what, what's your, you know, sure. Well, we're, we're 70% sure about this. Okay, then we've got to make sure that if we're going to say this, we have total 100% solidarity. We're not breaking the line on this. Right. We'll get the media involved. We'll get the political machine involved. And, uh, you know, everybody's got to come together to fight this thing. Now, if you truly believed, I'm not I'm not even positing bad actors here. I mean, you might think that, and maybe somebody's going nuts in the comments. I sure hope not. But, <laughs> you know, that let's give them the benefit of the doubt. If you think this is the best way to do it, then you're going to want to push it. Because you, if you truly believe you're saving millions of lives, okay, fine. That's emergency powers. It's what has to happen. And early on, everybody was pretty much in solidarity on that, that we're willing to come together and fight this thing. Mm. But as it became clear that, you know, to be kind of crass, you're sort of making it up as you go that we tried the vaccine. Oh, it turns out we need boosters. Oh, it turns out you need more than one booster or don't use a mask. Actually, guess what? Use a mask. No, definitely use two masks or, you know, it's okay if you go to the, you know, some of them were just kind of silly, right? It's okay if you go to the restaurant, you just have to wear a mask when you get up to go to the, the bathroom or something. And people got really frustrated with that. And I believe, and you can tell me if you agree with this, Zach, that the average person's trust in the institution with a capital S science has been shaken because of what they saw during the pandemic. Would you agree with that? The average person is going to be a little more skeptical the next time somebody comes out and says, well, this is what the science says. Because I think before that time, there was this kind of like, I don't know what to call it even. There was just this like 1950s kind of mentality of like, well, that's a guy in a white lab coat. Like he, he wouldn't, you know, he's a rational, factual person. They wouldn't, they wouldn't, they wouldn't exaggerate or they wouldn't, they wouldn't change what they say from day to day because it's the facts. It's just look, it's right there on the sheet. That spreadsheet tells me, you know, we, we had that. And I don't even know that that's necessarily a bad thing to have. The issue became, certainly wasn't a, a presumption of, of trust. Yeah. And the issue scientists. became, I think exactly what you're talking about. And this is what we're talking about when we're talking about the, the capital S science, we, we, what we really mean. And this is, this is why, you know, Tyler and I talk about Ken Ham a lot as like a guy who he, he has, he should have the honor of a prophet, right? Where he wasn't, he wasn't thought of, he wasn't respected in his day, right? He's not dead, but I'm just saying like he, when he was talking about these things in the nineties, he was 
pilloried. Absolutely shredded publicly by people, laughed to scorn, including by people within the church, because they said, oh my goodness, you're, you are, you're setting us back. You're so, why would you, why would you teach such stupid things? You're such an idiot on and on and on. But one of the things that Ken Ham said is he said, there is a difference between the scientific method and science as a religion. He hammered that. He would never let people yep. up on that. He said, you're not teaching science. You're teaching the scientific religion. You're teaching naturalism yep. as a religious system, a belief by faith that there is only materialistic naturalism. And what we saw, I think, in the last couple of years, and I think it's even bigger than the COVID stuff, honestly. I think yeah, it I went into a lot of things other things, it, right? But. Like, I think we are seeing publicly a lot of people who wanted to hold, and I don't, again, we're not into conspiracy theories, guys. Please just chill in the comments. I'm not going to read it. Um, we, we, we saw a lot of people who really thought that that level of authority would allow them to just say what they wanted to happen and have it come to pass. Well, we are the scientists, and so this is the science. But then in real time, people were pretty rapidly seeing, like you said, not only not only maybe didn't they know what was going on, but we really rapidly saw that they were changing. They had to change. They, they had to yep. change what they said. And look, that's just good science, right? Like at the, at the end of the day, the facts change, mm -hmm. and you're supposed to change. That's what science is supposed to do. But when it happened so quickly, or when sometimes they would resist changing because it would not look the way they wanted things to look, or because it didn't line up with what they wanted things to be like. Yeah, you had the power of the state behind it too. I mean, it, that it was was enforced. It broke like at a, at I, a um, what's the word? I, I mean, at police, right? I mean, yeah, in certain yeah, places, yeah. police would come to your your business or your I house and shut you down. I think it broke people's brain a little bit, and they started asking questions like, "And look, this shouldn't really surprise you because there's all kinds of things that are like that." You know, we joke all the time about this, you know, with diets, right? Well, last year, low carb was good. And this year, they're yeah. telling you to eat nothing but bread and meat. Like, you know, and we laugh about that. But the, the center of that is, hey, guess what? If, if you're a person who just trusts the science, well, the science changes on these things. You know, if you go read scientific papers from really smart PhDs from the 30s, they'll explain to you why smoking cigarettes could be good for your health. <laughs> yeah, and and right. we just don't think that anymore, right? So, so... When you say the science, and that this is why Ken Ham used to hammer this, he would say there is not the science, there is the scientific method. There is a we are looking at the world. He he used to say all the time, the data is one thing, but everyone brings their own interpretive layer to the data. So you don't get to claim the data as yours. The data is just there. It's just the data. Those are the facts. But everyone, he would say, and I think he's right. Everyone brings their presuppositions to the facts. I do. I presuppose before I look at the facts that there is a God, that he created the world, and that everything that I observe should fit into that framework. So do naturalists. They presuppose that there is no God, that he did not create the world, and everything should fit into that framework. Mm -hmm. So so when we when we understand that everyone does that, and, the, and, and I think when it's shown to us so publicly that, hey, the scientists with a capital S are starting out with some presuppositions and then they're doing the science, right? Yeah. And that's and, a big thing that I think people realized altogether. And they're presuming to, I mean, what rubbed many people the wrong way is you're presuming to make laws mm. based on this unfolding process mm. that you are trying to pretend has been settled and decided. And mm. there was definitely, they were certainly trying to give off the aura early on of, don't worry guys, we fixed it, it's gonna be okay, mm. when no such thing was true. Why do I bring this up? Only, I, I because I think this is, this is perhaps a cataclysmic event 
in our culture where people are not going to be so quick to just say, oh, I believe in science, you know, like the guy from Nacho Libre, I believe in science. <laughs> like, yeah, but yeah. those are people. Mm -hmm. Th those are people with plans and with 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 uh, dreams and goals and the things they're trying to do. And if you're a big conspiracy theorist, like, oh, this was always planned. They wanted to make this happen. Oh, Whatever. I'm not going to get into that. I'm yeah. just saying, if you were able to see in that instance that science is not always what it appears to be or markets itself to be, then I think you'll go along with us. Here's another example of this. Not only is it made up of people, right, that are uh, manipulating data or withholding certain information or only allowing one thing to be talked about. Again, touching on the political realm is is what many people, including myself, have an objection to when it comes to climate change science. Is not that I have a, again, I'm a normie here. It's not that I've done my research and like, oh, well, it turns out that climate change isn't real. That's not anybody, or well, it's not my objection anyway. But here's what I've noticed, and a lot of other people notice too, is you say that the climate is changing, that global warming is, is happening. It could very well be, for all I know. But your solution is always some version of, therefore, vote us into power and we will have authority over everything so that we can fix it. And I go, I'm just a little suspicious of you. And in fact, yeah. it makes me a little suspicious of your science too. Mm. If that is your only solution, like you're not willing to say, okay, fine, if we can't do that, let's look at something else. Or, well, there are possibilities that something else is going on. It's There's this lockstep like there was with COVID of this is the way it is. This is the only solution. And it involves our party or our group being in complete control of everything so that we can save the is, world. This is the only scientific conclusion yeah, that smart right. and good people accept. Yes. That's, now, You're now, why, stupid if you don't believe Why this. are we hammering this over and over? Well, friend. We, I honestly think, Tyler, and this is, you remember, like, I, I, I'm not trying to toot my horn, but I, I have... I'm not just saying this. I've done some work on this. I've read for years and years and years on this. I've read people so much smarter than me on this who are believers. I've read some people who are not believers on this. I believe that that's exactly the situation that we find ourselves in with origin science. Yes, absolutely. I think that that's exactly where we are. That basically what happened is sometime, and it was a long time ago, Darwin, you know, origin of the species is what, 1860s somewhere? That's a long time. You know, like, you know, and by the 1920s already with the Scopes trial, we're having kind of a moratorium on this. We're like, you know what, we, we're going to teach this and this is the way and you need to kind of, you know, accept this and whatever, right? So it's been a while, basically, where the scientific community has locked horns on this and said, this is the answer. Nobody else gets to, you don't get to have a, a different opinion on this. Done and done. We're not talking about it anymore, we, yeah, right? Not, yeah, right. Not only are we, not only is this what we're going to go with, but we are not going to allow there to be differences of opinion here. If you're going to be above ground and talk about this, you will say this, right? Yes. Now, again guys we're not conspiracy theorists we're not like it but this is just kind of a thing right there you can go read and this was a thing that was happening in the 90s and i would say maybe to the late 90s the early 2000s there was the beginning of what was called the intelligent design movement which is kind of petered out now some but at the time there was a big thing where mostly secular scientists not these were not like you know independent fundamental baptists these were secular scientists who were standing up and saying wait one minute you won't even let me pursue my research line to a conclusion because you don't like the direction it's going. And as soon as they said that, they would get blackballed from their research institutions. Their funding would get pulled. They, their, their careers would be over. Multiple different cases like this. And these people kind of became this loose collection of rogues who said, well, 
what if we don't think the origins question is answered? What if we think that there are problems in the Darwinian explanation for where things came from that cannot be solved and we want to be able to look at alternate explanations uh i think you meant did you mention stephen c meyer already he I, was, I have not mentioned him yet he but was a like, big one there. yeah what what michael behe all these guys yeah as we i mean we're going to move on here but just mm -hmm. what i'm trying to tell you guys here is if you saw this with with the rona <laughs> with, <laughs> with covid and the pandemic if, if you've maybe seen it in climate science, all I'm trying to say, if you have noticed that there's, there can be an ideological mm. push behind the science mm -hmm. and you're not so sure about that, I'm trying to tell you the church has been on this for a long oh time. Gosh, yeah. That yes. we've, we've <laughs> seen this happen over and over again, just like you described. Yes, yeah, um, Stephen C. Meyer was, uh, I believe, at the Smithsonian Institute. And he published some things uh, talking about, if I'm not mistaken, uh, the only explanation for these fossils being in the fossil layer, uh, it, it does not seem to be explainable by the current you know, Darwinian model and was removed from the Smithsonian. Mm -hmm. And you're not allowed to talk about this. We're not going to publish your paper anymore. There's one, I remember a very prominent one, where uh, these scientists had dug up a T-Rex bone that had red blood cells in it. A lot, and now red blood cells don't last those millions of years, mm -hmm. which you'd think would be a fascinating, like, whoa. Seems interesting to me. Like, how is this possible? <laughs> uh -huh. They bring it to this event. Uh, they gave the speech, but the speech was, they, they removed it from the website. They didn't publish it with the rest of the articles, and they completely tried to bury this mm -hmm. seminar because, well, we know that, that, you know, it had to have been this long ago. Completely ignoring the fact, well, somebody just found a piece that, according to your model, shouldn't be possible. Mm -hmm. And uh, that that's another example of things that have happened. Or like you said, people that were, will write an article or question, even if they're not even Christians, they'll just question right. the Darwinian model. And they're like, well, okay, you either get this right or you're done. And so what that ensures, by the way, is that people that are going to get research positions at universities will only and exclusively be people that are willing to toe that line. Right. So you will only ever get people producing what are called respectable research that have agreed to this already. And what Christian scientists, not the denomination Christian scientists, but Christian scientists right. have been trying to do is like, hey, I've done some work on this and it might not prove a six day creation, but it sure shows that what you've been chasing down has an awful lot of problems with it. Mm -hmm. And those people are shamed, they're mocked, and, does, and never mind all these scientists that have come out and said, no, we're doing this on purpose. There's not all of them, but many that have said, no, we want to get rid of God. We hate the church. We hate the oppressive patriarchal structure of, of Christianity. And so we're going to push this in order to get rid of it. We we're can... going to push it so that we can have our own morality. We have philosophical reasons to ensure that this is the only thing that gets talked about. Christians have been observing and documenting this for decades. And I'm trying to tell you that if you're frustrated with what happened during COVID or because of the climate thing or any other related issue, you should take a hard look at origin and creation science and and that's yeah like again you don't i don't even think you have to be a particularly politically or, or agenda motivated person no, and I'm, I'm really trying not to be political here yeah i'm, I'm trying not to about focus that, on a very guys. specific like, thing go, there's so many people really you know people who ordinarily i disagree with them on a lot of things because they're rather liberal and they are they're constantly bemoaning what's called, like basically the cap the institutional capture that happens in their field and it doesn't even have to be science where it's like we can't even talk about anything anymore because there's only one acceptable answer and this happens all over the place. Nobody really 
disagrees with this anymore. Everybody sees that this is happening in universities. Now imagine that you were trying to study the origin of the earth, which by definition, there's some philosophical questions there. Not, it's not just data, guys. You can't go out with a test tube and figure out what the origin of the earth is. You have to bring some philosophy to that, right? You have to bring some metaphysics to that. Imagine that you were trying to study that, but you had your whole both hands tied behind your back because the only acceptable answer is within a naturalistic worldview. That is what the scientific community has been doing essentially since Darwin. I mean, really. So, so yes, increasingly so. And, and guys, it's not just us crazy people down in Alabama saying this. Like, this is you know, you go look at people like you know Michael B. He is another guy who uses. He's a bio, a biochemical engineer, I believe. He was studying the uh, structure, the cellular structure of like the human body or even plants or whatever where like he basically said he wrote a book called Darwin's Black Box where he said the cell is too complicated to exist by evolutionary processes and Darwin didn't even understand this and now I'm telling you this is how it is and we need to figure this out. He, B, Michael B he's not a believer. Not even close. Like he he was just saying we need to figure this out and he got blackballed for that. So th this is like this is an, a very common thing that's happening and and what Tyler and I are trying to get to is this idea that look guys as a believer we can get over this feeling of embarrassment or this feeling of oh i have to apologize for or make all these like double back handsprings to explain why i don't accept the scientific consensus on evolution look guys there is no scientific i'm just gonna make a little tiny prediction there's not gonna be much of a scientific consensus for the next couple years about a lot of things that's good that's healthy that's normal the scientific consensus is not science that's not That's how right. science is supposed to work. The, science the, the is a consensus process. is what's supposed to be challenged. Right. The science is a process whereby it's part of the we fun. Exactly. Like that's what science that's what good science is. So the idea that we need to I think a lot of times Christians have the and we do this in a lot of areas, we have this weird respectability chip on our shoulder where we feel like we have to prove to people that hate us and hate God that we're smart and normal. Guys, they're never going to believe you're smart and normal. And just accepting what they say about how old rock layers are doesn't change that. So chasing after them saying, please co-sign me and like make me cool is like, I think it's a futile pursuit. And also, by the way, even if you were doing that, increasingly, that's going to make you look rather silly as we begin to realize that they don't really know what they're talking about. There's an awful lot, and I don't have the like, quotes right in front of me, but if you pay close attention, you guys, I mean, there's an awful lot of rumblings that come out every now and then that like this whole thing is a giant bubble and it's going to blow mm. at some point, especially if you have more international scientists that are contributing who are not bound by the same ideological mm. pressures. Uh, I remember a while back there was a, an astronomy thing that came out in the news and um, there was a, some astro astronomical discovery where the person said, this is not explainable by our current models of the universe and was immediately ravaged by other scientists saying, well, it's a shame that he has to bring his faith into this. And the guy's like, I'm an atheist. What faith? I'm not bringing faith in this <laughs> right. because there's an, an immediate so hair trigger yeah. response. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're, we're, all we're trying to show you now is, guys, that to, to disagree with the science, first of all, is very scientific. Uh, yeah. Secondly, <laughs> is you're, you're not just disagreeing with what has been not always demonstrably proven it's much more what the group has agreed we're going to say and uh, Zach you and I have both spent some time in the university uh, there's a you can have this this picture of people in the universities as these like you know pristine you know <laughs> monks that never you know just stand mm. on the truth and they're they they're completely selfless and but not realize the incredibly 
manipulative and political and backbiting kind of places these are, where everybody is constantly scrambling to get published and to stay published and to stay on top and to force down other other thoughts and other theories. And you know, now you you're in this weird place where people can see it. And now you've also got this whole other group that are, you know, delegitimizing science from another area, you know, math is racist and that whole crowd mm. that's are kind of ripping it up, you know, whole, you know, from from the foundations, right? And we find ourselves, you know, weirdly paired with those that have despised the church for so long and saying, no, we we believe that science is a good thing. It's a good endeavor. But I, I want to just make sure you watch out that you're not confusing that capital S science with the lowercase s science. Mm-hmm. So here's where we stand is that we're in conflict. And there are those that w- say, well, I want to be smart. I want to be clever. I went to school and this is what they taught me. And the Bible does not teach that. So mm. the Bible cannot be true. There's this sense that science is objective and the Bible is not. And so once we've tested things, well, then we've got to re- go back and reinterpret the scripture, which is exactly the opposite of how Christians are supposed to do it. We, right. can, we can be mistaken in our interpretation of a passage, but we're not talking about like, oh, when it says the sun rises in the east and sets in the west, that does not necessitate a flat earth, for example. But you're talking about something orders of magnitude greater than that. And we'll have a whole podcast where we talk about the theological implications of this. Mm-hmm. But we are certainly arguing at a disadvantage here when we want to try to talk about this because it's it's a real it's real easy to win in, internet points by dunking on Christians and you know internet atheists love to use like well where are your facts and logic man you know use these words that like do you even know what empirical means because you're not <laughs> using it properly right and it's yeah. like well. You know, or what you're teaching is really creepy. That's another favorite atheist term for some reason. It's like, well, you're just so stupid. And this is this has already been proven, and science has already disproven creation. It's just kind of said that like that, and it's very hard sometimes to sit there and say that's not true because it makes you sound, you know, silly because you're standing opposite this giant scientific social apparatus, which in most cases we'd be happy to go right along with. But when it comes against matters of the faith. Then we're gonna say no. We're uh, we're willing to disagree on this one. And mm. I mean, what what do we really do here, Zach? What advice do you have for somebody that's gonna come across this kind of stuff before we start getting into like the you know actual apologetics of it? Like, how are we to conduct ourselves in a world like that, where even so many in the church are against you? Like, yeah, there it's this is where I can affirm the the culture and get a pat on the back and I'm at my brother's you, expense. This is going to be maybe some like counterintuitive advice, but this is what this stuff led me to. I remember, I'll never forget. I was, I was just so, I think obsessed would even be a fair word with this stuff when I was younger. And it was just nothing but because I think at the, at the end of it, the day I want, I wanted to prove my faith. I wanted to be able to have, like you said, facts and logic and empirical reasons to believe. And I remember I ran into something that I, I didn't feel like I had adequate proofs for. Um, I was trying to study the whole like starlight and time question, which is like, hey, if the star, we know the stars are X far away, but that's billions and billions of light years away. So, so how do you know? So that proves, right? And, and I saw all these answers for that. And there's, look guys, there's legit, there's like actual astrophysicists who are believers who have studied this and they have good explanations for it. But at the time I was just struggling with it. I didn't really understand how that would fit into the scripture. And I remember I was praying about it and the Lord said, look, you understand I just remember so clearly the Lord said to me, you do understand that you're going to have to take this. You're going to have to trust me, right? You're going to have to take this on faith, right? And I said, oh, yeah. Like, all these answers are good. You have good reasons to believe you have good answers in your faith. But I'll just, I want to gently encourage you, if you're struggling with this stuff, I would like to encourage you to begin from the place of faith and go from there. Mm 
If you try and do it the other way, it's very common that you will you will shipwreck yourself. If you constantly are running around trying to see how many Reddit atheists I can debunk so I know that it's okay to believe in Jesus. <laughs> uh, let me just share with you, friend, you know, and maybe that's where you're at right now. Maybe you're so obsessed with like, I've got to find all these online people and prove them wrong. I'd like to lovingly tell you like, that's, that's the opposite way. You have to start between you and the Lord in your heart asking yourself is, does, do I trust the Lord? Do I trust him that he would not lie to me about things, that his word is true, that I have good reasons to believe the authority of scripture? We've done whole podcasts on this stuff. If you have accepted those things, then this stuff kind of lays out pretty easily and it takes a lot of the fear out of it for you. If you have, if you're shaky on that and then you go into this feeling like, well, this, this guy, he's got a whole YouTube channel. He must be right. You're going to be in a, in a little bit of a weird spot. Yeah. I always tell people like, you know, it, it's okay to just kind of ignore most of the internet. Yeah. And I know that that's not a popular thing to say nowadays, but like, guys, first of all, the, the, the Reddit atheist is like a bad meme now. Like we were laughing about that, but that's kind of becoming a joke because it's becoming very clear that these people don't really know what they're talking. Like even other atheists are looking at them and saying that's, that doesn't even make sense. So if we're going to look at those people and they're going to be the guide for whether we think it's okay to believe the Bible, we're making a mistake. We're measuring ourselves by other fallen human beings with fallen intellects. That's not how we do this, guys. We start out with we start out with God's word. We start out with the the Holy Spirit. We start out with understanding the world according to scripture. And then we go from there and we look at data and evidence and science and all that and that's all good, but if you do it backwards, I I don't know, Tyler, what do you think? I, I just I feel like that's probably not the best way to go forward is is trying to feel like can can I get enough proofs for my faith from from unbelievers to feel okay? Yeah, you don't want to get validated by unbelievers. You know, what what you have often is you meet somebody who they themselves haven't proven. They didn't sit in the lab and, you know, <laughs> right. and do this. Like they they've you know, they want to be thought of as a smart person. Right. So you find out what smart people are supposed to believe mm -hmm. and you believe that and defend it with all your heart. Therefore, because I believe that the earth is this many billions of years old or because I believe in evolution or because I believe in what name your, your thing, right? That makes me smart. Not that, oh, I agree with what the smart people said. I now am smarter than you. Mm -hmm. And therefore, anybody who disagrees with me is stupid. And that's why they speak to you that way. Whereas we want to come at these things saying, I know you're not stupid. But neither am I. So yeah. let's talk about this. And if you're really so strong in this, let's let's have a conversation about it. And we are going to have all these conversations. Oh, We're yeah. going to talk about, uh, you know, what does what does the Bible say? We're going to talk about what you know what science has to say about this, and we're going to look at the theological implications of it as we go through. But, uh, you know, it's it's very hard. I will just say I know it is hard. You've got to be strong in your in your faith. You've got to trust that, you know, this is not something that's going to affect the gospel of Jesus Christ, you know, that it, but that it can become a threat if we don't address it. And so we're going to address it. Mm. You know, evolution has kind of become an article of faith now for the world. Like you believe in the, yeah, that really evolution exists. And it's amazing to me how you get guys that want to try to pair evolution with scripture and like, you know, look at somebody like Jordan Peterson, for example, who's not a believer, but mm. norm normally a crowd that would want nothing to do with the Bible. We'll listen to him talk about the Bible or, you know, Pinocchio, because <laughs> he's also will bring in like evolution and, and talk about how that supports all this. And it's like, oh, now I can now I can breathe and accept right. this because he still believes in evolution. And that is like such a strange shibboleth for our culture to have. 
that you have to believe this or we're not going to take you seriously at all. And when you watch this, somebody gets in a debate over the existence of God. That's where the person wants to take it. Mm -hmm. I remember an interview, it might have been Ray Comfort of all people that did this, but mm -hmm. he interviewed somebody. And he, oh, wow. A you want to talk about a 90s kid touchstone oh, yeah. is Ray Comfort. Yeah, yep, that's right. What wow. a great yeah, yeah, name yeah. for a Christian, by the way, uh -huh. Ray Comfort. Yeah, yeah. But he interviewed a, a scientist at a university and he said, uh, do you believe in evolution? And mm -hmm. he says, of course. And he goes, why? And he says, because there is no God. <laughs> which I thought was so fascinating that it was backwards, yeah. how it was backwards. It's not, oh, I don't believe in God because, you know, Richard Dawkins, who's a, you know, kind of the atheist revival preacher, you know, <laughs> the tent revival guy, he comes along and says, we can't, we don't need to believe in God because we have evolution. This guy comes out and says, no, I, I believe in evolution because I don't believe in God. And I think that is more true for more people. And yes. there, you know, there are many Christians that have tried very valiantly to demonstrate, hey, just because you believe in evolution doesn't mean that God doesn't exist or that the Bible isn't true. And they're right. But boy, are they ever fighting a losing battle because people mm. know in their gut that this is right, though. I mean, really, isn't everything that you're talking about just made up? And then there are other Christians that want to come along and say, yeah, guys, it is kind of all made up, but that doesn't mean that we can't still benefit from it. Or we just, you know, there's always, a, you hear some really disappointing pastor online who's just like, <laughs> guys, believe whatever you want. Like, that's not what pastors are supposed to say, mm -hmm. <laughs> believe whatever you want. But let's, let's put it this way. If people are holding to evolution with a religious fervor, we who are actually religious have a scientific obligation to question it. Mm -hmm. And that's the fascinating part for me is that, you say, well, listen, we've had a scientist that did a study of fossil layers, for example, and uh, they're a Christian, and they come up with something that seems to show that, you know, maybe these assumptions you are, are holding on to, in many cases, by the way, since like the 30s and 40s, uh, might right. be wrong. Um, yeah, yeah. And the yeah. claws come out, man. Mm -hmm. You can't question that. It's ridiculous. I'm not reading anything that's by some ridiculous uh, Christian religious figure. And it's like, wait, wait a minute. I thought this was the whole thing that we test this stuff, that we come back to it, and it's supposed to be, yeah. And there, but there's a moral and there's a philosophical and even religious spiritual under undergirding for these these mm -hmm. people. But Christians have a scientific and a spiritual obligation to speak up and to to question these things. And there are some very you want to talk about intellectual courage. A guy that's going to stand up in a university and say, I don't believe in evolution. That's a brave man. Mm -hmm. That's a brave person to say that because he's about to lose everything when he stands up and says that. So, yeah, I mean, right, Zach, we're, we're, we're in favor of science, but we are also insisting on the right to perform science in order to question the capital S science that has already been accepted and, and promoted. Yeah, and maybe we're just kind of preaching to the choir. I mean, I, my guess would be that there'd be a lot of you who are listening to this who are kind of coming to these conclusions yourself over the last 10 years or so as we kind of realize that, like, you know what? <laughs> like, you These know, are just guys. Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. These are just dudes. And, and I think that's healthy. And you know what? Like, bring a little bit of, look, as a believer, I just want to encourage you, like, you're always going to be in that role. You're, you're always going to have that prophetic role to culture of saying, wait one one second. You know, that, that, that is who we always are. And, and we need to be comfortable doing that in this area, too. We need to be comfortable saying, wait a second, you can't just scare me by saying, you know, you can't just throw some slogans at me and say you're a smart person and ride off into the sunset. I'm not scared. Bring me your bring me a reason. Bring Let's talk about this. And and, you know, as a, as a person who spent probably too much time on this, it doesn't actually take that much time. For, uh, I'll just say this, it doesn't actually take that much time for you as a believer to know enough to have a conversation that will get to the end of 
of some of these people's objections. They don't have that much depth in this, really. They've been taught some, some, mm-hmm. you know, like you said, revivalist preacher slogans that they throw out there that make people stammer. And when you kind of push through those and say, hang on, wait one second, I want to talk to you about science. Hang on, I just, I want to question that thesis. When you can talk their, their jargon and have a little fun with them, you'll find very quickly that there's actually not that much depth there. They haven't thought about this that much. Right. Because and, it's and the only because be. it's the only thought you're permitted to have. Yeah. And most people don't have any reason to question it because they don't have any religious uh you know undergirding. And I'll say that that is that is important too. It's like, well why why do Christians insist on doing this? Well, first of all, because the Bible presents it different than the university does. Yeah. Secondly, because how many people have we seen shipwrecked in their faith because they come across this stuff that we know you know somebody in your life is like, i just can't believe this anymore well, what really did it when once i got to college and they started talking about evolution it's like man i'm an idiot for believing in this stuff we've seen it happen but here's the thing we know that the bible is true because we know what christ has done for us You've seen the fruit of the Spirit in your life. You've seen miracles. You know the story of the resurrection is true. You know that the Bible has been given to us to be treasured and it's inspired and inerrant. You believe all of that. Well, you've got to go all the way back to the beginning, which means if the world promotes a theory that is against what the Bible teaches, Christians ought to be at the forefront of questioning it. Because, listen, I I know that this word is true because of everything that Christ has done for me. I have faith that it is true because of everything that Christ has done for me. And that includes opposing this thing that you have just said. And as a matter of getting the gospel out, I must speak out against this thing that is going to slowly work to erode the foundation of the gospel in somebody else's life. At the very least, guys, like I think it's a pot. I mean, maybe, you know, we're speaking to, I'm sure, to a lot of people that are in ministry. It's let me just say this. Like you might not even agree with us on this. It is your pastoral duty to have a reasoned, carefully thought out take here. And it's not good enough, I don't think, certainly in this day. I mean, goodness, it wasn't good enough in the 70s to just say, I'm going to ignore this and pretend it didn't exist. That was what Ken Ham was constantly talking about. He said, churches just don't want to talk about this. And I keep telling them, if you don't talk about this, well, you're up here at this top level trying to explain the gospel to people. People at the universities are destroying the foundation of your children's faith, and you have no hope if you won't even address this. Yeah, those, those great canon Yeah, the, the little drawings. Pictures. Yeah, exactly. Was, and he was, he was right. Exactly right. And so, guys, the, the time that ship has sailed for you to just ignore this and think that you can just pretend that this doesn't exist. The, it, I think I was talking to my dad about this, and we were both saying that we saw so frequently these kids who are coming, and this is true in many other areas too, they're dealing with deconstruction. And one of the things that I see is very common in kids who are deconstructing is that they get a hold of something that is in, in a small way true, that they have not been explained or taught about within their, their faith in the church. Like, for example, they maybe they've been told some not fantastic stuff from a pastor about something or other, and they carry that away and, and a, a person in their university knocks down one false thing they were taught. And their whole world shifts and they say, well, wait a second, what else have I been lied about? And all of a sudden there's this opportunity for the enemy to come in and and fill them full of lies. One little truth that wasn't addressed opens this big door. I think this is one of those places for us pastorally. We owe it to our people to not send them off somewhere else to be knocked over with one little, well, I bet they didn't tell you about this, did they? That person ought to be able to say immediately, oh yeah, they did. Yeah, Yeah. we, we talked about this. 
No, no, no. My, my pastor is not. My pastor isn't hiding his head on the sand. In this, we talked about this. He had he had some answers for this. He's not a PhD in in you know rocks or a PhD in fossils, but he did explain to me that there were it was knowable and there were some people we could talk to. You owe it to your people to have prepared enough to at least inoculate them against the easy wins that the enemy wants. And that's really what it is. Yeah. It's almost this vaccine thing. Is the enemy just wants this easy win of, well, I bet your stupid pastor didn't tell you about evolution. And if all you got to do is be like, yeah, it's, hey, it's me. It's the stupid pastor. We talked about this. That's something else that Christians have been on for a long time is that the fact that the universities are propaganda machines, not no, yeah. not educational facilities. And it's been rather frustrating for myself to watch the world wake up on this one. And be like, well, the, <laughs> what has happened saying, to universities? It's like, oh, yeah. so when it's affecting your thing, all uh, of a sudden uh, it's a big deal, yeah. right? All, been all it for years. When the, when the corruption affects your backyard, now it matters. We've been out here saying, hey, they're, they're out there intentionally stripping kids of their religion. How mm. can that be okay? Like, oh, look at the salty Christians. They didn't use salty back in the day, but so they say now. Right? They're just crying <laughs> about it. And, you know, you just can't accept facts and logic. That's another thing. Atheists think that facts and logic means atheist. Right. They don't realize that those <laughs> words, you know, <laughs> have a definition. Like, yeah. oh, facts and logic matter. And uh-huh. so one more thing I will insist upon when it comes to matters of science in the church and Christianity and creation science and evolution, all the rest. It does not matter if we are pursuing this research because we are Christians. It does not matter if there is something we want to be true, and that is why we pursue this research. Because that's how it's very easily dismissed. It's like, well, it's biased research because you just want these things to be true. That's not scientific. That's not how science works. Science is, okay, yeah, maybe maybe they did. Let's take a look at what they came up with. You have to examine this stuff. You can't just decide, well, I'm not going to look at it because it's religious, because then that that automatically makes it tainted science. No, it doesn't. And say nothing of the fact that y'all have things that you want to be true too. Right. There's things that you're you're chasing after that you know many people have said it out said the quiet part out loud many times, and there have been those that have collated those examples. But the question shouldn't be. Well, do I like what the Bible says? The question is, well, when it comes to the age of the earth or when it comes to, you know, these these very bold claims that are made about the evolutionary family tree and somebody <laughs> comes up and you don't like that they go to church, but they come and poke a giant hole in it. You you can't just say, forget him. You've got to look at the hole yeah. and say, is this legitimate? I think one of the greatest things that the Creation Museum they do to go ahead and jump ahead here some is, you know, they... They show where some university has said this was a, an example of an early, you know, an early hybrid between man and ape, these. you know, and, and they got an artist's rendition of it. And they said, okay, here's another artist's rendition of it, and it's just a monkey. Like, this is just a monkey head. It's just an extinct species of monkey. Or they do the thing. You know, they used to do these in their books where they would do the thing where they would show, like, yeah, same thing. Oh, here's all these transitional fossils on the record. And then they would outline for you what actual pieces of bone were found. That this artist yeah, they found like a on. vertebrae. <laughs> yeah, and it's, it's, yeah, and it's three teeth. And you're like, well, so it's just a drawing. Like you just yeah. have a drawing. This like is that, just an artist's that's rendering. That's cool, but like you, you just literally have a drawing. And I'm oversimplifying a little. I understand that, but not that much, guys. Like if you go look up this stuff, it's 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 available to you to understand. Like, yeah, it's a paper a, tiger. Oh yeah, in a many lot respects. of this. A lot of this is really just what you see at a museum. You, yeah. you know, is, is, hey, on the walls, here's some cool drawings about what we think happened. Yeah. And it's it's perfectly okay. For, you don't even have to be a crazy person to point at that and say, hey, well, hang on one second. Like, let's have a chat about this, you know. And and look, you know, we rate. it's so funny because, again, we were raised in this very 90s, like, 
it's cool to be a rebel and stuff, but there was ne- I I always that's was like, all gone now, yeah, isn't right? It, man? And, I, and I was like, well, hang on, I kind of didn't lose that, and I'm still the kind of guy that I go to these places. I'm like, are you serious? Like, you expect me to just swallow this? Like, yeah. and that's you been I mean, that's me. been documented. Like, we're, we're talking about you know the corruption of of creation or sorry evolution science. I mean, you know the the missing link forgeries there have been multiple sure, times some guy sure, like sure, sure. put a fake skeleton together and like traveled around and showed everybody or you know data that were that were forged or slanted in order to get the you know the mm. results you wanted or uh you know what's the other one um there's a there's a real famous one where this happened oh the uh that little picture you probably saw in your science textbook of how an embryo starts out Embryonic as having recapitulation, has yeah. gills right. and then it gets you know which just f- scales true. and it's like no <laughs> Those aren't gills. That's not what it looks like. Right. But they keep on putting the picture in there because it's helpful for people to yeah. grasp. They like, put the exact but that same was made up. Yeah, we know put, that was made up. We right. know that. And but you're continuing to put it out there because you like the results right. that it's giving you. Right, right, right. You know, for those of you that really don't like how uh, you know many scientific journals now, especially related to a lot of the wokeness stuff, have been proven to be just they'll, they'll publish anything. And in fact, a lot <laughs> of it is lies. And okay, so I didn't. Did you see? There was. I read recently. There was some. Uh, like the the world expert psychologist on lying turned out to have like forged her seminal paper that like established her like on <laughs> dishonesty lying. yeah like I saw this, and yeah. she, and and whenever that happens people <laughs> will come out and say okay yeah so i forged some stuff but it was to spark a conversation or the, the what it accomplished was more important than what you know it actually proved and to nothing of the fact that but then it's not true because you lied about it that kind of stuff happens in evolution science all the time and we have got to be scientists, ironically enough, about this when we talk about it. We're going to look next week what the Bible has to say, because that comes first. Then we're going to look at what the, the science has to say and, and talk also about the theology and the philosophical implications mm-hmm. of this. The final point I want to make today before we start to wrap this up is I want to once more emphasize to you that just because somebody has letters after their name <laughs> in a given domain does not mean that they have any authority to talk about spiritual things. I've preached this from the pulpit before, and I've had even some folks get upset with me about it. Just because somebody has gone to school and become a scientist or a philosopher or an economist or, you know, pick your your field, gender theorist, that they do not have any authority biblically to speak about what the word of God has to say. Mm. And just because somebody has become, you know, a, a paleontologist or an archaeologist or a cosmologist. It doesn't matter. They do not have spiritual authority in the things of God. And we've got to stop letting those credentials transfer over. Shoot. And those of you that are out there, I mean, this is a problem that pastors face. Mm-hmm. If you get somebody in your church who is a chemist or who is a botanist or is, you know, pick your thing, an engineer, those guys will very it's hard for them sometimes to submit to the authority of the pastor. Mm-hmm. It's like, listen, I'm smarter than everybody in this room. And because I have my degrees and my letters, I'll do my own study. Thank you very much. And then I'll see if I agree with you. And we've got to reclaim this idea of spiritual authority in the church, that we are people that are stewards of the mysteries of God. And that because there is a, a trend, even if it's a couple hundred years long trend, 
that people are, are pushing against the faith. It's like, listen, we're standing on the word of God that has stood for thousands of years and buried every other idea. I'm not just going to jump ship to this one over here because that's what everybody happens to be thinking now. Those scientific credentials do not transfer to the spiritual realm. Shoot, there's there's a bunch of schools from which I don't even care if it's a PhD in divinity or whatever. I'm not going to listen to you, let alone, you know, if you're from, I mean, and this should be simple, guys. Like, wh- what does that have to do? What what do you what what do you have to do with me right like oh very good you're you're like you said you're you're a student of of rock layers excellent explain to me why that makes you an authority on scripture explain to that explain to me why that makes you a leader filled with the Holy Spirit to to explain to this flock what we should think about you know these are issues of philosophy and and not you know not just scientific data issues so good you you tell me all that science based on what you think but i'm still going to be you know and and honestly guys think about that for your own home dads moms like you're the priests in in your house you shouldn't allow there to be this double kingdom in your home of well this is what we think about the bible but if if it's anything else we let these smart people tell us what to think you got to be very careful about that in your home and i'll go now this is you know you can tell me I'm biased for saying this because of how I grew up, but I, I still firmly believe, and this is true no matter how you school your kids, I don't care, when you as a parent need to be the one in your home that says the authority for us is scripture, and we we interpret the world through that lens. We do not allow there to be a second world, you know, a real world, because that's what happens really quickly is that your kids realize, oh, the real world is over here. The real world is the one where these smart people tell us what to think about the real world. And this is just the fairy tale mm-hmm. world about the Bible that we go hear about on Sunday. You've got to be very careful as a parent that you don't accidentally paint that picture for your children. That the only place where we go to scripture is about the fairy tale stuff that's in the Bible. And everything else, we go we go to the newspaper. I'm, I sound like I'm 70 years old. We go to, you know, wherever. We, we go to, you know, we go to the Scientific American to figure out what the, what the world is about. That is a... Not only is it wrong to do as a believer, but it is very dangerous for your kid's faith. You mentioned a while back this fetishization the church has of respectability. Yeah. I love S.M. Lockridge's quote. Uh, who He's the that's my king guy, mm-hmm. if you know who that is. But he said, uh, sophistication is sucking the life out of our religion. Hmm. The desire to be sophisticated and respectable and known by the world to maybe get a spot on Fox News or CNN <laughs> or, you know, to be recognized by your local mayor. And and when when denominations do this, when they decide we want to be academic and we want to be known, we want to be hip and up with everybody else and right up there with what is being said in the modern world, they shift and they slide so fast because that's what happens to theories. And the, those denominations fail. And one of the reasons I love being a Calvary Chapel pastor is we do not place a premium upon higher education. Mm. It's about your faithfulness and your walk with the Lord Jesus, which is, that's a great worldwide model. Like we want to see, you you know, you might not have the opportunity to go to seminary if you're living in Bangladesh, right? But if you're faithful and know the gospel and can study the word on your own, the Holy Spirit will guide you. And the church needs to make sure that we're never hitching our wagon to any theory ever. That's what happened with Galileo. There's a great article in a book that I read where they're like, Galileo wasn't burned because he was denying theology. He was burned because the church had hitched his wagon to a certain mm-hmm. uh, kind of science, and he was questioning that. Galileo was a Christian. That never changed. It also was the Reformation. They were just kind of burning people in the Catholic <laughs> Church a lot back then. That was just kind of what happened. But I, I want to just ask this question at the end. What is your priority? Is your priority to serve the Lord and even if it means you're going to be embarrassed in front of other people mm. about whatever it teaches, or are you going to say, I, you know, I will believe the Bible, but if they come across something that is 
proven to me in a way that I can accept it, then I'm going to have to go with science on this one. Then you need to check your heart here. I need to stop letting, you know, you've, maybe you've read a hundred science fiction books that all talk about evolution and it just is overwhelming to you. And now you feel like you'd be the silly one to stand up and say something contrary to it. Now that that's just propaganda and peer pressure. That's not science and facts and logic. You didn't get convinced. You got browbeaten. Mm -hmm. You got bullied. You got overwhelmed rather than thinking this through. And we're going to help you think this through. But mostly this is for the church to hopefully revitalize a little bit of interest in this. But also to remind us that, guys, science is not everything it's cracked up to be if you're going to capitalize that S. We've all seen it. And we're reminding you where I think probably the worst offender is. And that is in this matter of, of origins and creation and evolution. Mm -hmm. And uh, look, this is what the Bible says. And I'm perfectly content to go to my grave, even if I end up being wrong about it, it's like, well, sorry, Lord, I didn't mean to take your word too seriously. If that's the worst charge that can be laid at my feet, y'all. I'm just fine with that. <laughs> I don't know if you can tell, but this is one of the ones that we're going to have a lot of fun with because this is something that we, you know, still to this day, I still read up on this. I, I think it's super important. We're going to have a great time. We're going to talk about a bunch of this different stuff, get maybe into more of the, the nuts and bolts a little bit more as we go. But it, you can't have this conversation without this first kind of philosophy of science, I guess, question or theology of science really is like, what, what do we as Christians think about uh, approaching things scientifically? If you don't set that foundation down the, the down the line, you're just going to not really understand what you're doing. So th this was really important. Um, and yeah, man, this is, this is going to be fun. Yeah. So hopefully just kind of frees you up from some of that initial shame and, and squeamishness about looking into this kind of stuff. And, and, uh, you know, let's just look at what the word has to say mm. and, and, and stand on that. So, uh, we're going to be getting some recommendations about reading and, and videos and things you can check out as we go through. But in the meantime, we will see you next time as we look at, uh, the text itself and, and kind of set the parameters of what we're going to discuss. We'll talk to y'all later. Thanks guys. Thanks.